Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Everything was made possible by Sacrifice Sunday and by the sacrificial giving of the saints. Just yesterday I had somebody tell me, uh, it wasn't even related to Sacrifice Sunday, they told me, they said, Pastor, I just want you to know, thank you for keeping our church up to date and modern and keeping it nice uh, and, and not letting us get comfortable with old broken down stuff. Amen. So I appreciated them saying that because I want you to know, I believe that if we're going to have God's house, we ought to take care of it. Amen. And we ought to make it as nice as we can within reason. So once again, this year, our focus is on increased excellence. And we believe that an excellent church must constantly strive to improve the worship experience for our members and our guests while also bringing glory to God. So with that in mind, let me tell you, share with you quickly, and then I'm going to get into my sermon. So just relax, and it's not about money today. So with that in mind, this year our goal is to raise $50,000 for four primary needs. Now, remember, last year we raised 58, so we ought to be able to do 50 easy. We want to make some platform sound upgrades to the tune of $10,000. Inner ear monitors for our praise team, some new microphones that will assist us in volume control and better overall quality sound. We are constantly trying to make the sound better here so that it's not too loud for the folks that think it's too loud and that it's not too soft for the rest of us that think it's not loud enough. So we want to hit that sweet spot, and we want to make sure it's right. Uh, we want to make some more upgrades to our Kids Life uh, ministry, particularly the check-in area, to the tune of $5,000. We want to make video equipment upgrades. We want to improve our video ministry uh, to the point of purchasing better equipment that will allow us to record our services, to record the training, and eventually we want to be able to live stream our services in high-definition quality uh, for people on the Internet and for social media. Amen. Now, by the way, people have asked me all the time, why don't we do that now? Because I'm going to tell you why. We're not going to do it until we can do it right. If you've ever watched a low-quality church service, I don't need to say anything else. So we're just going to make sure we can do it right before we do it. And then the last upgrade to the tune of $25,000, we're doing some much-needed uh, roof repairs, but we also want to do some remodeling of our worship space that will help modernize this room even more and help us, again, with sound control. So in your seats are some pledge cards for you to prayerfully consider during my message today. And at the end of the service, we'd like to ask you to bring those to the altar to help us with this year's ministry projects. You can fill them out as a family. If you don't have one, please raise your hands. Our ushers will be happy to provide you with one. Now, hear me, though, before I move on from these. The reason we do these pledge cards, they're important to us. It allows us to budget and consider how to proceed with our projects based on your response today. So the cards are important because we're going to immediately make decisions about ordering stuff or not ordering stuff based on your response today. That's good stewardship. That's just making good, sound financial decisions and not overextending ourselves if we can't afford to do so. Amen? So let's go to our text for today. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. 
Matthew 6.21, it says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Amen? Now, let's talk here for a few moments today. Everyone has only a certain amount of resources to work with. I think we would all agree with that. Whether it's our time or our talents and gifts, our treasures, we have to use them wisely. We only have a certain amount of each, and we want to use them not only for our needs, but for God's kingdom and for this community that we live in. There are only so many hours in our day, so we have to be strategic with our time. Can everybody say time? There are only so many ways to use our gifts and our talents. So we've got to be selective and make sure that we're using them for the glory of God. Everybody say talent. And then there's only so many dollars in our possession, so we got to make sure we put God first and with it be wise with the rest of the dollars. Everybody say treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. And with only a certain amount of these elements to work with, these resources to work with, why should I intentionally give some of them back to God? And equally important, how do I give them back to God? Well, now, today we're going to be taking pledges, but hear me. This message is not just about giving money to sacrifice Sunday, today, or over the next 90 days during this campaign. But I also want us to think about how do we use our time for the glory of God? How do we use our gifts and our talents for the glory of God? See, because I believe that being a faithful believer, being a faithful supporter of God's work means I've got to be a giver and not just a taker. Can everybody say amen? I serve others, and in turn, I am served. I use my gifts, and I am also blessed by the giftings of others. Aren't you glad that we have some gifted musicians here that bless us by using their talents for the glory of God? Aren't you parents glad that we have some gifted teachers that bless our children and our families by using their gifts for the glory of God? Amen. I could go on and on. We don't want you to just be a bench warmer. We believe that everybody ought to be a starter on God's team. I also give my money, which is a vital part of my financial stability as a believer. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, about the what a few weeks ago, our tithes and our offerings. But how do I give those things? My time, my talent, my treasure. See, motive and attitude mean everything. Amen? I have determined that people giving their time or their talent or their treasure or their lack of giving of those things really has less to do with how much money we have or how much time we have and more to do with what motivates me to give my resources away. Amen? What motivates me to mark time on my calendar for ministry? or for worthy causes? What motivates me to use my talents and my gifts in a ministry or maybe even to help someone else outside of the church or maybe help a a, a ministry or a group or a charity outside of the church? What's my motivation? What motivates me to reach into my wallet and faithfully give my tithes and my offerings every single week as a faithful child of God? See, there's different levels of motivation 
or attitude in regard to giving. So I want to talk about these motives today, and I want to speak on this subject. You thought I forgot to give you my sermon title. Here it is. Motives matter. Motives matter. When it comes to my time, my talent, and my treasure, my motives matter. So let me start at the bottom, and let me start with the most basic level of motivation for giving. Now, when I say giving, remember, I'm talking about what? Time, talent, and treasure. So this isn't a sermon just about money. And then I want you to take it up, and we're going to go up to the highest level of motivation for assigning some of our resources on a regular basis to the work of God and his kingdom. So let's start at the first level of motivation. You want to know what it is? Self-interest. Everybody say self-interest. That's the first level. That's the lowest level. I heard a story that a pastor told one time about this level of giving. It was a true story. It was in the early days of this particular church, and they were under intense financial pressure. And and I've been there. We've been there as a church on more than one occasion. And this church met in a rented theater on Sundays. And one time there was this new guy who knew nothing about the Bible. He wasn't even a Christian yet, but he started coming to church, and he loved coming to the church. And he learned about the financial problems. So he set up an appointment. He took the pastor out to lunch one day just to try to encourage him. And as they ate, he got out his legal pad and his calculator. He said, Pastor, I heard things are really tight here at the church. I want to help you. How much does the church have to pay the theater for renting it every week? So the pastor told him roughly what it cost, and he wrote that down. He said, well, how about the expensive uh, for the, the vehicle that carries all the sound equipment and wrote that down. What about the cost for the coffee and the pastries and the children's ministry? And they just wrote everything down they could think of. He said, now give me a few minutes. So this guy started punching in numbers and started scratching on his pad. He said, I've got it. I've got a plan. He said, here's what we're going to do. He said, we're going to charge everybody 10 bucks at the door. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, now, For the kids between age 12 and 18, it'll be $5 each. True story. He said, then three bucks a head to put your kids in Sunday school. $2 if you drive a car and you want to park. He said, this will work great. You know, he felt really good about himself because he thought he had figured out a way to keep the doors of the church open. Now, remember, this guy's not even a Christian yet. He's just doing some good math. He was probably a great budgeter. But here's what he was really saying. He's saying, this is really the first church that I've ever been a part of. When I come here, I understand. You talk my language. You shoot straight. The Bible's starting to make sense to me. I'm starting to understand God. I'm starting to understand this stuff about heaven and hell, salvation. And what he was basically saying was, my wife and my kids, we benefit so much from being here that we got to figure out a way to keep these doors open. It was just really good old raw self-interest that was driving his plan. He knew that if some other people didn't kick in some money, this thing that he enjoyed was going to go away. And he couldn't bear the thought of that, so he came up with a plan that served everybody's self-interest to keep the doors open. Now, that sounds like a silly story, but you know what? Really, think about this. A lot of us join stuff, and we support it, for self-interest purposes, right? Some of us join softball leagues. 
or Little Leagues for our kids, and we ante up to pay for the referees or for the court time. The men's softball team, when, when we play, we pay a certain amount so that we can pay for the, the fields and for the referees and for our jerseys and for the softball equipment, and, and we pay it. Some of us join hunting clubs and fitness clubs and softball teams, whatever kind of club. You know, I, I, there's some recurring charges on my credit card each month. There's a Netflix charge, and you know why I don't contest it? because it serves my self-interest. There's two charges to the gym, to Gold's Gym, one for Robin, one for me. You know why, even though we don't use it a whole lot? You know why we don't contest those charges? Because it serves my self-interest, right? We pay to play. We pay to enjoy certain things. And if we don't pay the dues, guess what happens? The club will go away, or the membership will go away. Paying the dues really becomes an afterthought. You know, some churches even take a variation of the dues approach. I've actually heard of some churches where they divided the expenses uh, uh, of the church by the members, and they would actually send an invoice to every house. Yeah, can you believe that? And they would put up a bulletin board in the lobby and make it public who was paying their dues and who wasn't. It would take me about 12 seconds to quit that church, amen? See, that's not a good plan. That's not a God plan. But see, some of us give our resources, our time, our talent, our treasure to certain causes because they're self-interest. Or maybe we feel guilt. We give occasionally to soothe the guilty feeling, and, 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 but we're not really giving consistently or cheerfully. So see, hear me, though. Don't, don't miss this. God doesn't love a guilty giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Amen. So we've got to go beyond this level of just self-interest. Some people give their time to the needy. And you, I'm not calling nobody out. You've seen it. Anybody that's got some friends on Facebook. And and then they post about it on social media. And they want everybody to know about the good deeds that they've done. Every time they go out to feed the homeless, every time they give somebody something, every time they do something, they just flash all these pictures. And they put it on there. What's their motive? Self-interest. By the way, can I just throw this in as a side note? I'm not preaching about this. Let other people praise you. Can I just say that again? Let other people praise you. People who blow their trumpets all the time, you look very vain. (laughs) And we live in a look-at-me culture, and it is getting way out of control. Can the church say amen? See, the Bible knows nothing of the self-interest approach of giving to God's work. You can read the Bible from cover to cover and never find self-interest as a good motivation for giving a portion of your earnings to support the church. Want one example? I'm not going to read about it. Look at Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. You can read their story in the book of Acts. But the Bible actually starts at the next level up. Not self-interest, but the next level of motivation. You know what that is? Gratitude. Everybody say gratitude. Psalm 116, verse 12. I love this verse from the New Living Translation. What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? Hallelujah. Why don't you read that like you mean it, amen? Let's read it together. What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? And I want you to just, Wesley, leave that verse up on the screen while I'm doing this point. The real starting point for giving to God's work financially or serving others is in response to God's beautiful gift of himself to us. 
when he robed himself in the flesh of Jesus Christ and died for our sins. Amen. Our giving should come from a gratitude that is tied to a bloodstained cross. Can the church say amen? And when you understand who Jesus is and how he made salvation to each of us as a free gift, then what's inevitable in your life is a response of gratitude back to him. Thousands of people make annual trips to war memorials all over the country. Have you ever been to the Vietnam uh, uh, War Memorial up in D.C. or some of the ones we've got some even here in Richmond? People do it every year, and you know what they do? They'll put down a little flower or maybe a picture or a token. Some of them pray. Some of them cry. Some of them whisper. Some explain things to their kids. And inevitably, if you ask some of them why they're doing it, they'll say, I make this pilgrimage every May 22nd, every August 15th, every September 10th, because this guy or this gal, and they'll point to a name on the wall. They gave their life for me. And I just got to come back and say thanks. Gratitude. See, the Bible says that when God saw the condition of sinful mankind and that we had become rebellious toward him, God had a decision to make. He could have looked away. He could have judged the world. And by the way, he did do that once. Read the Old Testament. Read about Noah and the flood. But you know what God did? He did an outrageous thing. He came as a baby. The Bible says he robed himself in flesh as his son Jesus, and he died on a cross. For our wrongdoing. He paid the penalty. And he took it up upon himself so that we could be made right before God. He gave all. He became our substitute, our payment for our sin. And when Jesus went to the cross for your sin and for mine, he opened up his hands to receive the nails and he did it willingly. He did it lovingly. Amen. And you see, when you and I understand what Jesus did in paying for our sins, and when we put our personal faith and trust in God, not only do we become members of the family of God, but from that moment on, we are to open up our hands in surrender. We release our praises, but we also release our resources, just like Jesus released his life. See, because i got to recognize my gifts, whatever they are, they're not just for me. If I just use my gifts for me, guess what it is? Self-interest. My calendar is not just for me and my family. If all I can do is fill up every night of the week with stuff for me and mine, guess what? Self-interest. Amen. My finances are not just for me. They're to be shared in the kingdom, and they're to be shared with others who have great need. And you know what? Gratitude motivates me to do that. Can I just tell you that as believers, we ought to be the most grateful people in all the world. And I'm just going to take this another step further. As Americans, we ought to be the most grateful people in all the world. Sure, our government is messed up. Sure, we got a lot of stuff wrong in this country. But God has enabled you and I to live in the most blessed country in the entire world with the most freedoms in the entire world. Every day you wake up, you ought to thank God. Amen. That you can go to work wherever you want to or wherever you don't want to. You can go to church every Sunday wherever you want to or no church at all. Amen. You can do whatever you want. You can love whoever you want. You can vote for whoever you want. 
We ought to be grateful. As a matter of fact, you know what we ought to do? We ought to stop right now and just take a 30-second praise break and thank God and express our gratitude. God, I thank you. I thank you this day that I can breathe and walk and live freely, that I can bless you or I cannot bless you. I can give or I cannot give. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gratitude. You want to know why I'm grateful? He's given us the truth. He's given us his power. He's given us spiritual authority. See, I, I just, like the old song says, you don't know like I know what he's done for me. Amen? Come on, I remember what I was like when I was 15 years old and I was selling drugs in my high school. I remember what it was like. And that's the old life. And God has been so good to me. See, gratitude will change your attitude. It will. Because guess what? Now you're not just saying, well, I suppose I ought to help my church make its budget. I guess I'm going to pay dues so the club doesn't go away. I guess I better pledge something to these Sacrifice Sunday projects. No, 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 no. It changes. I guess somebody has to work in kids' ministry. I'll sacrifice a Sunday a month. Somebody's got to greet at the doors. Somebody's got to make sure the bathrooms are clean before church. See, it's not like that. You move beyond the motive of self-interest to the motive of gratitude. Amen. Look at that scripture. What can I offer the Lord? For all he's done for me. You know what you can offer him? It's in your calendar. It's in your back pocket. And it's in your giftings. It's in you. It's in you. It's a talent he's given you. It's an ability he's given you. It's a passion that he's given you. It's the resources that he's given you. It's the job that he's given you. It's the calling that he's placed in your life. Give it back to him. The, the level of the motivation of gratitude will lead you to do it. Let me talk to you about the third level of motivation. Everybody say obedience. You see, at this level, you get even more specific. We're more mature. Here's the person who says, I've got a grateful heart, but now, God, I want you to tell me what to give. I like to compare it to, you know, I've got my grandson. He's about, how old is he, about 18, 19 months old. And there, you know, every grandparent and every parent knows, and if you're a parent and you've never done this, you're not telling the truth. We all know the benefit of bribery. If you'll eat your broccoli, I'm going to give you some ice cream. Or if you do this, I'm going to do this. And you know what? And you can get people to, uh, you can get kids to do certain things because they're motivated by a prize, right? They're motivated by, or you get an extra hour on the Game Boy, or you get some extra time with the Xbox, or you get a little extra time on the weekend uh, outside, or whatever it might be. See, you can motivate people with stuff. But you know when you know a kid is really growing up when now they start doing stuff just out of obedience. And did you know God's children are the same way? There comes a point in your walk with God where you just got to reach a level where I'm not now, I'm not just doing it now for the Holy Ghost goosebump I feel on Sunday. I'm not just going to church because I feel a shikam a shakam a show on me and I'm ready to go and get my blessing on, amen. See, I don't just get up on Sunday morning on a night where I lost an hour of sleep because I feel like it. 
I do it because I know that the scripture said I'm not supposed to forsake the assembling of myself together, and I want to come together and worship with other believers. Nobody's going to give you a big old prize when you walk in work tomorrow at 9 o'clock. Your boss going to go, man, I'm glad you made it. Glad you made it. Everybody say obedience. See, not just do I want to give, I want to know what to give. I want to know how much to give. And I want to do it because I want to be obedient to you. Mature believers develop an obedient spirit to whatever God asks for. Matthew chapter 8. There's a story. Jesus runs across a Roman centurion. There's no evidence that that guy's a Christian. He's just some military guy. But you know what? He's heard about Jesus. He already has authority and power to work miracles. So he stops Jesus and says, hey, I got this servant at home. He means a lot to me, and he's very sick, and he's going to die. Would you please heal him? You know what Jesus says? I like healing people. Take me to your house, and I'll heal him. Then all of a sudden, the centurion, something dawns on him. He says, time out. See, I know how this authority thing works. I'm in the military. Jesus, I know you've got great power. Matter of fact, I don't even have to take you to my house. You know what he said? He said, you can just stand right where you are and say the word, and my servant will be healed. In verse 8, there's this great little statement that the soldier makes, and he says this, speak the word only. That same verse from the NIV says it like this. Just say the word. Just say the word, Jesus. You don't even have to come to my house. You don't have to know what the guy's name is. You don't have to lay hands on him. You don't have to send out an email to the prayer team. You don't have to circle everybody. We don't got to get a prayer chain started on Facebook. Just say the word. You know what I want to be? I don't want to just be a self-interest Christian. I don't just want to be a grateful Christian. You know what I want to be? A just say the word Christian. Jesus, whatever you say to do, I want to be an obedient believer. God, you've done so much for me. Just say the word. I want to be spiritually obedient. You have healed me on more than one occasion. Just say the word. You have delivered me. You have set me free. You gave me all that I have. Three months ago, I could barely even stand up, and here I am preaching to you today. Just say the word. But you know what happens when we start feeling good? We forget about what it was like when we felt bad. But see, we just got to just say the word. How does an obedient Christian give? You know what he does? He opens up his Bible, and he says, just say the word, Lord. Whatever your word tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. How do you want me to act, God? Just say the word. How do you want me to love other people? Just say the word. How do you want me to give? Just say the word. Say the word. How do spiritually obedient, just say the word Christians give? Now, I already preached about this a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to preach about it today. But you give financially, you give your tithes and your offerings. That's what obedience looks like. Just say the word. Oh, there it is. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Amen. How do spiritually obedient serve the Lord with their gifts? They just say the word and they do it. Thank the Lord that at Life Church we've got some just say the word greeters. We've got some just say the word kids' life workers. We got some just say the word choir members. Amen. Not grumbling, not whining, not resentful. Grateful to have the resources and grateful to use them for God's glory. Grateful to have the gifting and grateful to use it for God's glory. 
But see, there's another level of giving that spiritually obedient Christians give at, say the word Christians do. Sometimes it's sacrificial giving. Did you know there are times in looking at Christians, I found that it's not uncommon if you serve God long enough, sooner or later, God's going to ask you to take a huge risk. He's going to ask you to take a sacrificial gift that's going to just scare the stuffings out of you. But you know what? It's not a pattern that's repeated often in the Bible, but it does happen. Sometimes God says for reasons that you may not even understand at the time, I want you to take a huge risk. I want you to give a big chunk of your assets. I want you to give a big chunk of your time. I want you to make a commitment that you've been scared to make. But see if the Spirit's behind it and you're doing it for the right motives and you're obeying God, you're going to learn some things about God's trustworthiness. He might ask you to empty your savings account. Guess what he'll do? He'll resupply your savings. He might ask you to cut back on some hours at work or maybe even quit a part-time job so you can give more time to ministry or maybe to some, uh, some group in the city that desperately needs your help. You know what God will do? He will make a way if he calls you to do it. I believe that every Christian at some point in their lives And for some people, it's going to happen more often than others. God will call upon you to step up to this level of giving. And this is God's ultimate test for the spiritually obedient. You know what man's economics say? They say that's stupid. God's economics say it's blessed. Sometimes God will ask you to give more than you feel like you can give. But you know what? If it's God, then it will be blessed accordingly. Amen? Motives matter. Motives matter. We've already mentioned the first, self-interest, the second, gratitude, the third, obedience. And now let me take you to the next level of motivation for giving. Are you ready? Vision. Everybody say vision. People who go to this level, they're already giving out of gratitude. They understand that it's all done against the backdrop of the cross. They're giving obediently. They're giving Uh, their tithes, their offerings, they're serving on a dream team, they're volunteering in the community. But they've matured to the point where they look at the whole world a little bit differently than the average Christian. I'm talking about the level of vision. The person I'm describing reaches a point in their development where they're no longer just fixed or realizing that the world is in trouble and i just got to take care of my world. No, they understand that nobody knows how to fix it except Jesus. The person at the level of vision is not just a consumer in their church, but they've embraced the vision of the house, and they've become a part of it. They realize, I can't just go there and sit on a pew. I've got to get involved. I've got to embrace the vision. I've got to be part of the vision. Can the church family say amen? They begin to see with great clarity that the only hope for the world is the transforming power of God. One heart, one life, one destiny at a time. And when you become seized by the clarity of vision, hear me, it will change the way you view your resources, your finances, your talents, your time. It will even change the way you view your remaining time on this earth. You're going to start saying, hey, wait a minute. i got to do something strategic. i got to do something that is significant. I've got to do something that's important. See, when you see clearly that the only way that we're going to turn this world around is for individual lives to be transformed, with the power and the love of God, then you start looking at everything differently. Everything. See, the only way we can change our world is through the spreading of the gospel. And hear me, the gospel is only good news if we share it before it's too late. And for this reason, I want to give a greater percentage of my time and my talents and my money 
to seeing a move of God all around our country and all around our world. I already shared with our church on Wednesday night in the business meeting that we want to double our missions giving this year. We want to take our missions giving, which is right around right now around 5% of the income. I want to get that up to 10% this year. We want to give a tithe of everything that comes into this church, not just to, to stuff that we call local missions in this church, but to uh, groups and to missionaries and to missionary causes outside of this congregation. Can everybody say thank you, Jesus? And when you mature to the point where you see the world that way, that the world is hopeless without the power and the love of God, then you're going to get to a level where you say, I've got to do something more, not less. Amen? Can I just ask you, are you in the place right now where you're saying, God, i got to do more, not less? See, everybody's tired. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you tired? Can I, can I just pastor for just a moment here? We can all come up with excuses to justify why we can't serve in a ministry. I knew it would be quiet when I said that. That's all right. We can all come up with excuses of why we can't give financially. We can all come up with excuses about why we don't have the time or the desire to connect with other people in a group. But you know what? That lacks vision. Instead, we've got to start focusing aggressively and being strategic with our time and our talents and our treasures because it would be a tragedy to do otherwise. See, some of us have been at the gratitude level or the obedience level for a long time. But can I tell you, and this is a good statement, this church has more talent and more competency and more commitment and more resources than, we, than what we are even beginning to scratch the surface of to benefit the kingdom of God. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm going to talk more about this next month, but did you know there are some ministries right now that some of you feel very passionate about, and you're wondering why Life Church is not doing it? You want to know why? God called you. Maybe God is waiting on you to get it off the ground. Maybe God is waiting on you to breathe life into it. Maybe God put the burden in your spirit and is aligning you with a place that has resources and volunteers. Come on, somebody. And now, you know what? The only thing that is stopping it from happening? Do you have a vision? Are you obedient? Are you grateful or are you still operating at the level of self-interest? Motives matter. See, vision can release. Oh, vision can release so much. We can do so much more than what we have done. And hear me, you can do it right here. Hear me, there are groups that need to be started. Outreach groups, Bible study groups, nursing home ministry, jail ministry, home groups, juvenile outreaches, more prayer groups. Amen. We just need people with a vision and a willingness to carry it out. Can the church say amen? See, some of y'all are scared to clap right now. You're scared to say amen because you know that means I got to step across the line. I'm coming for you today, amen? God didn't call me just to coddle you or to make you feel good. I'm coming for you today. God called you to greatness. Do you want to be great for his kingdom? 
Do you want to be great? And see, when we get a vision, when we get a picture of the world and not our own little world, your giving will be worlds apart from just paying dues or punching your card on your dream team. Worlds apart from just giving your ties. So you'll begin to realize we're in a race to reach our world. We're in a race. What's at stake is heaven and hell for hundreds of thousands of folks. And guess what? If we really believe it, then anything less than our best is not acceptable. It's not acceptable. What a level of motivation. But that brings me to the last motive for our giving to God, and I want the praise team and the band to come on up. And that's the highest level. You want to know what it is? Love. Love. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with them, him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flax of fragrant oil and she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hairs of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Luke chapter 7 records Jesus showing up at a dinner party. And something very embarrassing happens. A woman who probably used to be a prostitute, before she repented of her sins, this woman walks in unannounced with a very expensive bottle of perfume. Matter of fact, some theologians believe it was about a year's wages for a common laborer. That's what it was worth. And without saying anybody to anybody, anything to anybody, she opens it. She begins to worship and she begins to pour it on the feet of Jesus until it was all gone. Very expensive perfume. She pours it all out. When she was done with this worship experience and maybe when the dinner party was over, I don't know what happened after that. But just imagine with me for a moment that she's leaving the house and she's getting ready to walk out the door and somebody greets her at the door and says, Hey, what were you thinking? That's stupid. You don't have much money. You don't even have a job anymore. Yet you've got this extravagantly expensive bottle of perfume and you just pour it over, uh, pour it on the feet of somebody. What were you thinking? And I could just see her standing there, still with tears on her cheeks. Her hair still wet from the oil that she had washed the feet of Jesus with. And I could just see her look back at that person and say, well, it might not make sense to you at all but I was motivated by something extreme. Love made me do it. So you don't know what Jesus did for me. You don't know the extent of the sin that he forgave me from and how important it is for me to walk hand in hand with him. So you, you don't know how important it is for me to know that I now have my life straight. You might think it's dumb, but I'm telling you, love 
made me do it. There's another time when Jesus is sitting by the temple treasury and he's watching people give. You know the story. A widow approaches quietly. She drops in the last two coins that she has. She walks away trusting somehow, some way, God's going to give her some work or some food or do something. God always has met her needs. She's confident he'll take care of her again this week. I can just picture somebody stopping her on her path back to her house to ask her, why, why would you do such a thing? Why would you drop the last two pennies in? She says, well, I know it doesn't make any sense to you, but love made me do it. Love made me do it. And then there's what happened when Jesus was crucified. See, when people were crucified back then, their bodies were just basically torn down when they were dead and they were thrown into a common grave. That was the practice in that day. Jesus was being taken off the cross to be carted away and thrown into a pit. But all of a sudden, this follower of Jesus comes out of the shadows and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just can't let this happen. So he steps out and he goes to the officials and he asks for the body of Jesus to be put in his own tomb. Now back then, if you you had a tomb, you didn't share it with anybody except your family. But Joseph identified himself as a believer in that moment at the risk of his life and he put Jesus' body in his own tomb. Very unconventional, very high risk. Maybe after a little while, somebody might say, man, Joseph, why did you do that? Now they know who you are. They, they know, they know, they, they, you're in that group. They are coming at Jesus was just the beginning. They're coming after all of you, Joseph. Why would you do that? Well, love made me do it. And I'd do it all over again. I remember as a teenager, I got in church. That's, that's a term we call it, getting in church. I started serving the Lord right before I turned 16. Most of you know my story. The year before, I had gotten expelled from Lee Davis High School for selling drugs. They kicked me out. I failed that year. Uh, I got no credits that year. I had to go to summer school two summers in a row just to try to make up some of the credits. I was a mess. But when I got my life right with God and I went back to school, I'd, I'd only been filled with the Spirit for two weeks and I went back to school. When I had left, I was one of the, the dealers that everybody knew who I was. When I came back, I came back with a Bible under my arm. I did. I had people tell me, we give you two weeks, two weeks. You'll be back behind the gym with a smoking pot and taking speed. We give you two weeks, Thompson. And two weeks turned into two months two months turned into four and I remember I remember going to my pastor when I was starting to feel tempted and feel feeling like I had too much time on my hands I remember going to my pastor Larry Williamson I said pastor I need you to keep me busy I got free time at night when I'm not working I need you to fill my calendar I want names of people I can visit I want to know when people are in the hospital I was 16 years old and I said, you got to keep me going. And you know why? Love made me do it. Love made me do it. Because I knew God had done too much for me. I want you to stand with me all over this house. See, this isn't exactly the sermon that you probably thought I'd give you on money today, is it? 
a sacrifice Sunday. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Love makes you do some things that other people don't understand. Accountants don't understand it. Neighbors won't understand it. Family may not understand it. Dave Ramsey might not even understand it. (laughs) But love made me do it. You know, it's one of the things I would love to see for us as a church is that one by one, every single person in this place could see the cross for what it really is. The reason that Jesus gave his life, he was motivated at the highest level. I think in that moment, if somebody would have looked up at him right before he took his final breath and said, why did you do it? He would have said, love made me do it. See, because he could have called down 10,000 angels. He could have called down 10,000 legions of angels. But he didn't. He could have made a mockery of every person that talked bad about him. He could have made the greatest uh, scene that society that the world has ever seen in that moment. Can you imagine if fire and lightning would have shot out of his eyes and thousands of heaven uh, angels would have came rolling out of heaven? Can you imagine what that scene would have been like? But he didn't do it. He just said, it is finished. Love made him do it. So I'm going to open up this altar here in just a few moments, and I'm going to ask you before you come, if you feel led, take the pledge card that's next to you and take a moment and fill it out. Ushers, if you're ready, if anybody needs a pen or you need a handout, just raise your hand. We're going to take a moment, and then we're going to come to the altar. I just don't want to miss this opportunity. And I just want you to pray about what you can do to sacrifice. But hear me, and I mean this sincerely. This is not just about your sacrifice Sunday offering. When I open this altar, I want you to come out from where you are, and I want you to say, God, whatever level of motive that you're at right now, you know what the will of God is for you to go to the next level. Whatever level you're at, God wants you to take the next step. Lord, I I don't want to just come to church out of self-interest. I don't want to just come to church because somebody's making me. I don't want to just come to church because it's good for my business. It's good because uh, people know that I'm a Christian businessman or people know that I'm supposed to. No, no, no. I don't want to come to church because my mom's making me do it. Or Man, wait till I I get old enough and I can make me. No, 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 no. God, I want to see the cross for what it is. And I want my motives to change. I don't want to just do stuff. Some of you right now, you're serving in ministries and and you're giving faithfully and and you're doing, but you know what? If we could all be real, sometimes we get caught and we're just stuck going through the motions. I don't want to just do it because I have to, or I don't want to just do it uh, grudgingly. I don't want to just do it because I feel guilty. I don't want to just do it because I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell if I stop. I want to do it out of love. I want to serve you out of love. I want to give out of love. I want to love others because you love me. So we're going to begin to worship. These cards are just something that you feel led to do in the next 90 days. I'm going to ask you to bring them with you. You can fold them in half and lay them on the steps. Some of you might even need to go home and pray about it. Whatever you need to do. But I'm going to open this altar. And I want to ask you to put your faith to the test. And ask God, God, I want you to help me to have the right motives. With my time, 
with my talents and gifts and with my treasure. So I'm going to ask the praise team. I want you to begin to sing, and I want to open this altar, and I want to invite you to come. Would you come right now? In Jesus' name. That's it, yes. I surrender all to you.